Hi, my name is Panta Kalhor and you're listening to Transition by Panta Kalhor Podcast. I created this platform to help you grow and move forward easier through your transition, whether in parenthood, job transition, healing journey, or starting a brand new life. Episode 62 Life Lunch with Dr. Lisa Patel, medical director and best-selling author. Please subscribe to Panta Kalhor Transition Channel and order my book Rules of Change for the Better. Tune up your mood and transform your life to reach your biggest dreams. Hello everyone. Today uh, we are with Authors Promotion Show. We had a little bit delay in our show. We have Liz, Dr. Liz Batel. And she has a book called Life Launch. She's medical director and best-selling author. I'm so happy to have you in my show, Liz. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. All right, Liz. Uh, tell me about your yourself first, and how did you become an author, a best-selling author, and then talk about your book. Yeah, so um, I am. I have historically been for a number of years both a professor in natural sciences and biology and anatomy and physiology, and also working in the medical field in clinical laboratory medicine. And I got my doctorate in clinical chemistry. And so I, um, you know, have been doing that over there on that side. And then, of course, I have my personal life and my private life. And um, I have been using a lot of the clinical chemistry that I know about and that I've learned about, especially stress response and things like that. Um, and uh, your your subconscious and your um, autonomic nervous system and, and things like that when you're dealing with some of the abuses and the traumas that I talk about in the book. And uh, I also have a bachelor's degree in nutrition science. So nutrition has been a big part of my healing as well. So uh, when I got to a place in my life where I had more time on my hands and um, was between jobs and uh, thought, you know what, I think it's time to write that book now because um, you know I have this concentrated period of time. And I was really kind of stimulated to do it by the Me Too movement, um, because my story includes, uh, you know, some experiences that I had with sexual abuse and uh, some kind of domestic violence. I I have a whole nother book in my head about uh, getting sexual um, discrimination on the job, you know, and that's a different book there too. But I thought it was important for what I consider an average American person to share their story in the public realm because we were hearing so much from actors and actresses. And I was thinking, hey, you know, me three, you know, like this has happened to me too. And, um, and I'm sure that it's happened to a lot of females since I had written the book, not just females, males too, but um, I, since I wrote the book, I heard a lot of people say, you know, that's happened to me too. That's happened to me too. And um, I just realized, you know what, I, I feel like I, I, it's important that I get my story out there and be another example to people that 
part of the healing process is sharing your story. And I hope that my story can help others. And that's my yes, mission. Thank you. Yeah, it, it will, definitely. I'm also PTSD coach. That's why I have another show, PTSD Self-Healing. And I have lots of interviews around uh, sexual abuse and uh, the post-trauma after those years of abuse and uh, childhood problems. And I've heard a lot about how we can do the recovery and everybody has their have her own methodology to recover. What was your method to recover from those uh, trauma? Right. Um, I did not realize that I had a method <laughs> you know, of recovering. And uh, if you look in my book, what I shared was kind of like a journey you know, and looking back into my past from my eyes now, I realized that there were there were, were really, you know, healing things that I did. And, and I include some of those in there. I share with uh, readers uh, in each of the, each of my sections at the end, I share some prayers and some meditations that I felt related to what I was going through at that stage or with those issues because I have like a section on alcoholism and drug abuse, which is part of my physical abuse was me abusing myself. And then I have some on the section about the sexual abuse and so on. And um, but I have I, I experienced these things that I call in my book, my saving graces, because I I really was a teenager and I was really a tween, you know, when uh, things really started with me, uh, with, the, with the real traumatic, you know, experiences. And one of them was um, the loss of my brother in a car accident, which uh, I'm sure you know, and you share about it on your show, uh, they have these lists of things uh, that are like the number one, number two, number three, life events that are stressful, you know, the major stressors, death, moving, and like I think divorce or something. And those are like the top three. And so I experienced um, a lot of those early on in my life as a young person. And um, so one of my saving graces was music you know, um, listening to music, listening to the lyrics and recognizing and identifying that, hey, there's people out there that have gone through some of this. They're sharing in an artistic form, you know, what, what I related to is, hey, that sounds like they're talking about their struggles with drugs or alcohol. And they're definitely talking about, you know, uh, sexual abuse or domestic violence. So, that was important to me. Again, identification through storytelling and knowing that I'm not alone. Um, and what I found when I finished writing the book, uh, Pantia, was that hope is really the driving force behind everything. Every little saving grace that I had, prayer and meditation, like I said, music, I had athletics. I was fortunate enough to be able to be in some, uh, you know, sports through high school. And then um, I carried on on my own, like swimming. I was a competitive swimmer, but then I did that and it was good for my mind. I even had friends tell me in high school, you need to go, you know, 
swim some laps because they always knew I was so relaxed when I would come out of there. The rhythm of that. I also played an instrument. I played piano and I, and I sang and sometimes I would literally be driven to play the piano to get my emotions out, just to sit there and focus on something else. Let the stuff that my brain was working on be in the background. And I think all of those things are important and they're not, I'm not sharing that, you know, these are things that somebody has to do, but you will find whoever's listening, you know, find your things that exactly. make you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the nutrition was another one too. I started getting into nutrition when I was 15 and um, just trying to take care of myself better. Cause I actually had migraines since I was in third grade and I had sleepwalking nightmares since I was in third grade. Um, so I really had a lot of those psychosomatic, you know, those stress-related disorders. And they didn't get much better as I, as I grew up. And then the book ends with me reaching the age of 25. And that's when I got into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. And that really started a new phase of my life. And it really started my healing. So, you, know, mm -hmm. you actually <clears throat> pointed to very similar things that others challenge as well. And the point is, when we read such a story, we can have shortcuts because uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of methods there, like what you mentioned. Uh, you use journaling that I did as well. <laughs> It helped me a lot. I also use uh, instruments. I mm -hmm. used to play violin and uh, singing, music, this kind of healing. Uh, it's very moving because it can change your mood right away. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Those are mood altering activities, you know, instead yes. of mood altering drugs, you know, I found exactly. these things. Yeah, yeah. And I want to also point out, you don't have to even be able to sing to be able to release through your voice. Uh, if, if anybody's out there listening, I did primal scream therapy and I would get in my car and just, ah, you know, like just <laughs> let it out. Um, they have people, some people use pillows and they scream in their pillows or they punch their pillows if that's something, not from an aggression standpoint, but I went into uh, an inpatient program for one week when I was like 20, 29, I had about four years clean and I still felt like I was still really sick. I felt like I was still really in the weeds uh, with, and I, I hadn't uncovered this stuff yet. I mean, I've just turned, you know, I was over 55 when I wrote that book and putting it all on paper and seeing it all at one time was a big realization for me. So that goes to show you how insidious this stuff can be. But, um, but uh, what I was going to say was they taught me in this place about expressing, meaning getting it out of your body, the negative energy goes to your PTSD, right? This negative stuff that, stays in our body and is housed in our body it can make us ill with all these other disorders and they may have come from emotions and feelings and 
traumas that we experience. So one of the ways is called the bataka bat, where you take a take a you know plastic bat and you have a certain motion with your body, and you hit a pillow, um, and the whole idea is to get it out, get that negative energy out. And I know I cried. Crying was huge for me. I cried at every single AA meeting I went to for the whole first year. And I didn't know what I was crying about. It was just my grief. My, uh, it was just years and years and years of, uh, you know, shame also from my addiction and things that I did in my addiction and, and all the other stuff, you know, the losses of my brother and other people in my life from the suicides, my own suicidal ideation that I had for so many years. I was crying for myself my childhood and so on and so forth. But another thing is wringing a towel and um, just going, that was my way. Cause I'm not a violent person. So for me, it was just, I grabbed the towel and I wrung this towel for four days straight at this healing place. And then another one is yelling at the wall, you know, pick a point on the wall and just do your yelling at that if you're a yeller. But these are these are some ways that people can do in their own homes or their own private spaces to try to get this negativity out of our bodies. I like it. It's It was so touching because <laughs> I remember mine. I um, I don't want to like talk about the PTSD I had right now because I talk about it a lot. I had an accident and then I had PTSD afterward. But uh, you always first you you think that why this happened to you, and that's why you're yelling and you want to uh, find a reason for it. But then you realize you have to take the responsibility to heal yourself. And healing is starts from within when you start. And uh, as you see in, in support groups, the first thing they said is um, emphasizing expressing yourself and telling your story to others. And that's, to me, it's very powerful uh, because by the time you don't process your PTSD, that's going to stay there forever. And it's not only that one because i'm also a fertility coach i see a lot of ptsd in childhood can also affect your fertility power and a lot of infertility reason comes from ptsd so uh, i like the way you talk about it like expressing and releasing starts from when you want to talk about it and uh, get it out and that's the first step then then what you did after you did yelling and you know i know that's the first step well so you know the book has become a vehicle for me to get in touch as i said with all of these healing strategies and starting with yes the telling of my story which i had told many times over but in pieces i would tell this person about this piece because that may have been what we were talking about but i didn't see it until it was all written down so one of the things that has come out of the book has been you know this whole um what I call it an authorpreneur, you know, type business, which is I want to reach as many people as possible. And, um, and I want to go back to what you said about, you know, 
all of these ideas. That was exactly my idea about why I wanted to publish a book because I wasn't just somebody that experienced loss of a sibling or of a family member. I wasn't just somebody that experienced addiction. I wasn't just somebody that only had this one, you know, sexual abuse or whatever. I experienced so many things. I said, you know what, I'm going to make a list. How many traumas did I experience? So I have in my, on my website, which you're, you're putting up here on the bottom line here on this live. And uh, I have a link on my website for a free PDF for anybody that's listening that wants to go and get it called my healing resources. And on it, I list, there was about 30 plus somewhere between 30 and 35. When I finally listed them out, what all the traumas were that I experienced. And that was unbelievable to me when you really think about it. Wow. Like, and I, it was part of my healing process was to see it and to give myself to feel that weight and know, hey, you know, you've gotten your master's, your doctorate after a lot of these things happened. Not all of these things, because I had other horrible losses in my later life that's going to be in my book too. But then I said, what are all the healing things that I've done? Like, you know, like we've already said, we've already listed these things, prayer, music, whatever, whatever chiropractic has been big for me, chiropractic therapy, uh, primal scream therapy, all these things. And I got, there's over 50 things listed there. So my biggest, my biggest, I feel as though, because I did rank and my number one bestseller ranking was mostly in suicide and uh, sexuality and um, sexuality and pregnancy because I was a pregnant teen and had an abortion. Um, and I talk about that in there. Um, but, uh, my third husband, which is what's going to be in book two, he ended his life. We have a, uh, we had an almost three-year-old child at the time that he, he ended his life by suicide and I found him. And that was really my largest PTSD trauma. Um, cause it literally, it really was healing from PTSD, finding him and trying to give him CPR and and that not working, but, um, but in, I'm losing a little bit of track, but my, I think I know what I'm saying now. My mission, my biggest mission is to prevent suicide. You know, it, if a person is anywhere on this spectrum, it could ultimately lead to suicidal ideation. Cause I know it did with me. I know it's done with a lot of people and that's where we get back to that hope again. So a person in my, in my studies of surviving suicide that I write about in the book, my own suicidal ideation, um, which I had at least four or five experiences that I talk about between the ages of 15 and 25 in my book, they it said in the literature that uh, people that successfully complete suicide, they do a hundred different things first. They try a hundred different things first, and there's a list somewhere, and they they get to a point where it's just that's that's what they do. It's not like it's a decision. It's just like that's the next thing that they do is is take action on ending their life after they've tried these hundred things. So the way that I feel about it is if a person is still really feeling like they're still struggling with any of these things that you talk about in your other show or that I write about in my book, um, 
I do have a list. I actually have a list of some things you can try, you know, and you may say to yourself, I've tried this. I've tried that. What else can I do? You know what? Get some ideas, pull down that PDF. There's at least 50 ideas in there that I've listed that worked for me. Now, those are not like all the ideas, but I wanted to talk about only what I've done. I, I know there's things that I haven't tried, but what I list in there are actually things that I've done. And I firmly believe that it was cumulatively all those things that helped me get on the other side of especially the grief of my late husband's death. Um, but you know, my whole life before that, but that was, that has been my biggest challenge in my forties and fifties is getting on the other side of that. You had that lots death. of burden as mm. a teenager and, yep. mm. and you were so lucky to overcome because uh, not everybody can do it as a teenager is so difficult. And the problem is Teenagers usually don't talk even to their parents about their issue. They may have a lot of hidden, uh, suppressed emotions inside, and they may have a lot of issues. And when they commit suicide, their, pa their parents realize, well, they had a lot of things they didn't tell them. And that's too much. <laughs> But as you said, when there is a hundred things you try to terminate your life, they should be on the other side. 50 things at least <laughs> give you hope and continue your life, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, what I realized in PTSD and, uh, and at the end, suicidal uh, attempt is distraction. You try mm -hmm. to find a distraction first. So you go um, and try different drugs and uh, even alcohol. And uh, for, for some time, temporarily, you are okay. But this distraction doesn't work for you. And at the end of the day, you say, I need to terminate it because I cannot find another distraction. Right. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what happened. But to me, distraction uh, was there. I, I needed what I did. I tried to learn new things. I tried to enter to new country, start a brand new life. Uh, at the end of the, like, I knew that I have a lot of unprocessed PTSD, but by making a lot of changes and new habits, I shifted my mindset. It took some time. I'm, I'm not saying that it's easy. It's very challenging, but it, it should start from you. I mean, you should find, it should start from you and you should find some other ways and some mm -hmm. inspiration. If you find a little bit hope and some inspiration, something to keep you alive and something a reason to keep you in this world, then it you should try it. Absolutely. Absolutely use it. Grab onto any little thing that gets you to the next step. And that's why I said I, I've asked myself many times, you know, why? Why did I have to do all those different things? And I realized it's because I did this thing and it, and it worked for me 
for that time, whatever that time was, it may have only been a week or a day or whatever, or like, for instance, you know, with the playing the piano, I, I can only benefit from that when I'm actually doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are things that I, then I started, uh, be, had, I had the ability, I didn't have the ability when I was a teenager. I'm glad you mentioned that because my ranking in, on Amazon for bestseller in actually uh, two countries, uh, Canada, United States, and actually three countries, UK, I was number one. And then in Australia, I was like number three or number four um, for months was in teen and young adult categories of these social issues. And because my book was written about my life as a teen and a young adult for book one. Um, and so that is the trick right there is when you don't have the means, you know, I was glad that my mother, she heard me say when I was 15, the words, you know, it's not gonna matter anymore. And she was like, what do you mean by that? And my meaning was, I'm not going to be here. And I, I may have said, because I'm not going to be around. And she said, what does that mean? And I didn't say to her, you know, what I wanted to do. I just said, you know, it means that I'm not going to be around anymore. So it's not going to matter. Meaning like for her to yell at me or whatever, in my case. Um, and she knew what that meant. She knew what that meant. Um, she, I didn't remember this, but she's told me even like, a couple weeks ago when I was talking to her, she's still so mad at me that I wrote this. Apparently, I had a, a suicide pact with my boyfriend and I had written a letter that she found that we were going to go down to the woods and um, do the Romeo and Juliet thing, I guess, or something. And I don't even remember that. But I think the combination of those things and she took me to a counselor right away. So I'm very grateful for that because my late husband, I found out after his death that he had actually written the letter when he was in high school and they found it in school that he was gonna end his life and he never got taken to counseling by his parents. And um, so I feel as though that was a first step for me. Um, but you know, some people don't have that. Some kids aren't gonna have that and they may not say it like we're talking about right here. You know, I, I wrote the book because I wanted other people to see that you can write this stuff down or you can talk about it. And I mean, I'm not proud of a lot of things in that book. It's very graphic. I mean, you know, it's very real. And, um, and I, but I feel that the, it's most important for anybody else to, that might read it, that looks at it and says, wow, she told the whole world about all this stuff. And maybe I can just tell one person then, you know, because I really feel as though it has to start by opening up your mouth because if you keep it inside of you, you have less of a chance to get help. And then you may not find the healing that you need. And so, that's what I'm trying to prevent. Liz, what whole parents can realize they have their children have this problem that and, is a good question yeah. because my son actually did go through it um since his father passed away wasn't quite three he he uh grew up with going over to other kids homes for sleepovers and they had a mom and a dad and 
it would bring it up for him and he felt so sad and so you know um it was hard for him it was very hard for him he felt uh very different and he he felt that loss he felt that and he first time somebody told me um and i kept my eye on him a lot because i knew that i had the ideation and i knew that his dad you know actually took action on that so i knew that there was a chance my son could have either a mental illness or something depression or whatever but i think for me each time it ended up being told to me because uh from another kid so the first time oh he did he was in a room with some kids and i was at a meeting in another room and when I was asking, where is he? And the child came out and said, he's in the room hiding underneath a chair. And I said, why? And the child said, he said that he was going to grab those scissors on the top shelf and stab himself. So he said that to another child and that child told me. And then I took him to counseling right away because I knew that it worked for me. And then about two years later, we moved and uh, there was a little girl that he wanted, you know, he asked to be his girlfriend in fourth grade or something. And um, so this was, this was, uh, this was now sixth grade. Uh, and uh, no, I think the first one was, yeah, that's true, true. The first one was probably second grade. This was fourth grade. He was young and he was talking about ending his life. But this one, it was uh, the school. I think it was the school that called because he had told a kid that he wanted to, to end his life because this girl broke up with him and she was kind of a little bit cruel about it. And, um, and, um, you know, that's the way they are sometimes, but they, thank God they told me and I took him back to a counselor again. And this counselor actually, again, it was a combination, I think of my son's age. Um, he, really reached my son and i he really just talked about actually like rational thought i and i don't know what the therapy is but he basically got my son to realize that that is really kind of an unwise idea you know like that it's sort of like i think he kind of communicated to him that that is a short-term solution you know uh, a, a long-term solution for a short-term problem. I, I think my son was able to grasp that and he realized, and he told me at one point, he was like, mom, you don't need to worry about me anymore. You know, I'm good. I realized that that is, is really not a smart decision, not a, not a, not a, not a wise thought process to, to think about ending your life because of something like that, you know, a kid, you know, broke up with me or whatever girl broke up with me. Cause I thought, Oh my gosh, like, what is he going to go through? He's going to have a lot of breakups in front of him, you know, but he, I think for me, it was, don't be afraid to take your child to a professional. If you feel as though there's something that doesn't seem right, you know, whether you hear, um, like the actual words or not. And then the other thing to answer your question, I think would be, I was told this by a medical doctor that I used to work for, who's a brilliant person and has his own business um, with genetic therapies and stuff. He said that 
anybody that expresses in any way, shape, or form a thought of ending their life, even if it's a thought and then they're not taking action or whatever, anything that is in that line, you should receive that. Anybody that's hearing that, it should constitute a medical emergency. And I think that is where many of us are off track. And I know that my husband said things to other people, not, well, he did to me about a month before, but I was sharing with him that I had the thought too. I went to a meeting and shared about it. He didn't. But even a week before he ended his life, he had shared about it with a friend of his. And, um, you know, we all thought that, you know, he changed his mind or he, we talked him out of it. His friend said, I thought I talked him out of it. You know, um, so we, I think we really need to be more on a higher alert when anybody indicates anything like that um, and realize this is a medical emergency. So, because in my life, uh, I've seen a lot of teenagers do it, and some of them are successful in ending their life, unfortunately, and uh, that affect parents. And because when they see their teenagers are not responding to them and they are not even cooperating to go to counselor, uh, then they cannot do anything. I mean, they don't do anything, and what? But they can do. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I've had. It, the, it should start from themselves, right? There should be some awareness or the. The parents should talk to their teenagers, be close enough to ask mm -hmm. them to talk to them. Uh, and uh, just if they just leave them to themselves, you don't know what's happening there or what what kind of friends are going to, you know. Well, that's yes. And that's what I was saying, you know, watching them. And like I said, I was watching my son when he was younger, but I will say that since then and he's been in his tweens and now he's 18 we did have some periods there at, at 14 15 16 that i i really did watch him extremely closely and he used to call me helicopter mom and, and i would just i would say to him in as measured a tone and and caring as i could without the alarm <laughs> you know i would say you know honey you know i need to do this because this is my job as your mother. I wasn't afraid of being, you know, you know, teens are going to try to push you away as a parent by calling you those names, helicopter mom and stuff. I said, you know what? I, I am glad that I'm a helicopter mom because I've seen some of the parenting from some of your friends and I don't agree with that. Or he'll say, why don't you let me do this? And I say, because this is the type of parent that I am and you're not allowed to do that in my home. And if you go over there, just because that parent allows your friend to do it, it doesn't mean that you're allowed to do it. And um, I would talk to other parents and I would tell other parents, this is not, my son is not permitted to do this, you know? And so is that going to be a problem and try to get those other parents to, you know, buy into what I allow for my son when he, when my son is at your house, you know, kind of thing. So again, I think it comes down to communication. There's just too many things that we just don't communicate upon. And I think there's, there's, there's fear or there's, um, 
maybe parents want to be the friend of your teenager and sometimes to save your own child's life or health, you can't be their friend. You know, you have to be their parent. And in some cases you have to be, you know, the heavy in order to save their own life. And they will eventually realize it eventually. And I know my son and I are, we're having a good relationship right now. We go through some stages, but I, I will tell him if we get to a place where I'm I'm not happy. I'll say to him, you know, this hurts me. I would like for us to have a better relationship right now. What can we do? What can we do differently? And and I'll I'll ask him to join with me in that conversation for how we can make it better together. That's so. the best way. That's the best way to do. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. show us your uh, book. Oh yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> another thing. So we were talking about, we've been talking about this all along, but that's why I called it Life Launch because and the book has a storm on the front of it. And there's like a little, I think there's like a little boat somewhere on this thing. Um, but it was on the original picture. Anyway, my, myself, when I was this age, you know, I, this was inside of me. The storm was always raging inside of me. And from getting free from a lot of these things by all these methods we've been talking about, but really writing it down, Um, I've been able to launch my life into and beyond, as you said in here, my little quote, you know, beyond the wildest storms, you know, of my life, I've been able to launch it into my next book is going to be called like a new dawn each day as a new beginning is going to have a sunrise and, and a rainbow over top of it, because that's what I've launched my life into after working through all these things. And that's what I want to share with people. Yeah, this yeah. is actually a very powerful book. I'm going to uh, share it with my PTSD group, uh, my clients as well, because uh, people who have teenage should know how to be closer to their kids and how to understand the symptoms of these negative thoughts that they, it may lead to suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. All right. Uh, what What's your feeling after uh, seeing your book published for the first time? Oh, my gosh. It was so amazing. Um, I did get help through the self-publishing school. And, um, uh, and it's, it's Amazon, as I mentioned, you know, that it's the, the e-book predominantly that Uh, got the rankings and so on. Um, but I have been selling the the print book. And then I did put out an audio book in November of, of 2019, like six months after I published the ebook and the print book. And uh, the audio book is um, another accomplishment and another really good feeling because some people don't want to read, you know, in either, in either respect. And um, there's a, some real power through the audiobook and the woman that I had read it, I did not feel like I could emotionally actually read it um, for that one because it was a lot, it took a lot out of me to write it. And I just, I just didn't feel like I could get through it functionally. <laughs> um, so I did have to ask somebody else to read it. But she has a voice that's similar to mine. And I felt like as she does have some similarities in our story, And so uh, I think you'll be in good hands with that. But I would say just an unbelievable accomplishment. I have a video over there on my YouTube channel. If anybody gets a chance to look at it, 
it talks about how I was told when I was 15 years old from a friend of mine who heard some of my story up to that point. <laughs> and he said, you need to write a book about your life. And I've actually been wanting to do it all along. And I've actually, over the years, these, you know, 40 some years, I've typed up little things and um, played around with titles and had ideas in my mind. Um, but finally, through self-publishing school and being in between jobs, you know, I put it all on paper. It took me 30 days to write the rough draft, 40,000 words. And then another um, 60, 70, about 75 days to edit and then go through the publishing process. So um, it, it's really been an amazing journey. And I have a poetry book that's going to be coming out and um, probably probably in another month, I think. And that is, again, my writing. So writing, even when I was a teenager, I wrote poetry that I talked about my confusion with life and what is life about. And I talk about God. I have, I have writings, at poetry and prose about God, about relationships, about my teenage loves and about death because my brother passed away when I was almost it was actually two weeks before I turned 13. So it was a very critical uh, time in my life when he was killed in a car accident. It was actually a drunk driving accident. So, you know, is everything is so related, unfortunately, in, in that aspect of my, of my life. But yeah, I talk about all those things in, in poetry from when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And then up until last year when I did my first Facebook Live with Enda uh, Labadins on um, nutrition and smoothies, and I wrote a poem about smoothies. <laughs> so that's going to be in the book too. So Beautiful. maybe I should write one about PTSD. Yes, yes, sure. Yeah, you already talked about PTSD. <laughs> maybe that's I should exactly write a poem about it. That's maybe, thinking, maybe, right? yeah, why not? <laughs> well, as soon as you start writing your book, I know the first one is a bit challenging. Mine, as you said, I always had this idea that I have to bring those on the paper and then uh, write it this way, that way. Whenever I had in the lunchtime at office, I always write, write. And uh, after two years, finally, I published my book after two years of writing it. But and then uh, the, ter the second one was easy. The third one was easier. You know, as soon as you have uh, you have done it for the first time, all the bar barriers that you had from publishing a book, it's gone. Because you right now you know uh, which editor you're gonna choose. After sometimes you find the best one, and uh, how to format your book, how to do the cover. You actually, right now I'm doing most of it by myself <laughs> i do my cover formatting and even uh, on ingram and or the paperback amazon i do it myself but uh i mean this is a journey that after mm -hmm. sometimes after you start as soon as you started is is getting much easier as soon oh as thank you so much for that i appreciate that i i'm i've been a little bit ashamed, I guess, that book two is taking so long to come out, but a lot of it has been the promotion, as I was telling you, you know, the audiobook first, and then sort of the promotion and coronavirus pandemic last year, yeah. it 
know, with all the traveling, I was really kind of staying in a different place because I was in and that's crazy down there. So I kind of came to more of a country place in a state where there was very little coronavirus until June. We didn't even have a case until June. So I was out of my element a little bit and trying to reestablish my my ways and my habits and my writing in this other place. So eventually I moved here in December. So this is <clears throat> this is now my new, you know, my new normal. And um, so, yeah. Okay, thank you so much for being thank here. You. All right, if you want to buy her book, it's in Amazon. Uh, she also have website, as you see. Dr. Lee's launch, Dr. Dr. Lee's life launch is her website, and she has the same uh, for Instagram and Facebook. Yes, beautiful, perfect. All right, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I wish to see you again. <laughs> we will. Let's do. <laughs> yes. And thank, thank you. you so much. And thanks everybody Bye. for listening and watching. Bye.